good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. I've said many times over the years that uh, this issue of homosexuality is uh, probably, in terms of public relations, in terms of uh, being able to appear winsome and to show the attractiveness of the gospel, the homosexual issue is a tough one. You know, and here's why. Here's, on the one hand, we're dealing with intimate feelings of one person for another, right? Uh, I can only imagine that those who are same-sex attracted experience the same kind of infatuations and crushes, tender attachments that heterosexuals have, okay? So, Everybody knows how tender that is. Everybody knows how you don't want to rain on your adolescent son's parade when he mentions that he's fallen in love, right? You you kind of treat that with tender, loving care. On the other hand, though, the vision of men lying down with other men, as they do with women, is just plain ugly and unnatural. It violates the design of the human body, and it can't be fruitful in transmitting new life. So if we want to take our stand with the truth as revealed in Scripture, in the apostolic tradition, and through natural law, we're going to have to just stand tall, and we will be under tremendous attack. In a society where so much emphasis is put on a person's feelings, you know. Um, if you oppose homosexuality, you're starting with a big handicap, you know, because people will say, hey, uh, how can you tell somebody who they can love and who they can't? Now, of course, nobody's saying who you can love and who you can't. We're simply saying that certain kinds of behaviors are not loving in the long run, no matter how you may feel about it at the moment. And we shouldn't be surprised because feelings can be deceptive, right? Go back to your own experience as an adolescent. Adolescent boys and girls very quickly come up with the rationalization. How can it be so wrong when it feels so right? But that's the problem with feelings. They can mislead. They can promise us beauty. They can promise us a rose garden. (laughs) And what we end up with are thorns. And so... We realize how silly it sounds when adolescent boys and girls rejects God's design for sexual experience, you know, when they say, oh, how can it be so wrong when it feels so right? But somehow, when it comes to the question of homosexuality, if we use the same line that, look, it can be wrong even though it feels so right, when we say it, we're told we're being hateful. And... I've always been frustrated with this issue because it it, it has psychological components to it. It has uh, ecclesiastical components to it, right, it, it, how the church approaches it. It's got deeply emotional side. It's got um, political dimension to it, deeply personal. So it's a hard issue to deal with. But sometimes you just have to lay it out there and say there's a matter of what's true and what's false. And when we look at the gay movement, and we've seen how they've twisted the scriptures, 
in sometimes hilarious ways, were it not so serious a matter, we realize, wait a minute, if you have to twist the scriptures in that way, something's wrong. And then we see the gay movement has attacked the catechism of the Catholic Church. And as I've tried to say, that uh, certain passages within the catechism are hateful. Uh, the gay movement has succeeded in marginalizing courage and encourage the two groups that are uh, that adhere to Catholic teaching as they try to help uh, men and women who are same-sex attracted live a chaste life and also encourage uh, helping loved ones of men and women who are same-sex attracted. You know, how to encourage them. So, and when the gay movement goes about and offers these criticisms of the scriptures, of the catechism, and of courage and encourage, they are engaged in, frankly, lies. Just lies. James Martin um, has actually internalized those lies. Unfortunately, we just saw Pope uh, Francis issue a, a platitude, a statement that, oh, God's, you know, God never disowns his children. And it was in the context of this issue of homosexuality. Well, it's certainly true. God doesn't um, disown his children. Uh, but there's much more we can say than that when it comes to this issue of pastoral care for same-sex attracted people. But James Martin certainly has internalized the lies of our critics. Um, they talk as though, Martin and his colleagues at New Ways Ministries and Dignity, talk as though we, who hold to the teaching of the church, rather than the concupiscence of the homosexual, are the problems, you know? And I, this is a little crazy. Um, we all tend, in the Holy Father's words about um, God doesn't disown his children, again, there's not, not, there's not much there to get sink your teeth into, right? So you don't quite know who he has in mind. I know in the United States, we tend to think that he's talking to us, you know. For all I know, he's not talking to us. He's talking to lands. There's about 70 countries where homosexuality remains a crime, like Uganda and Singapore or South Sudan. Half of those countries are in Africa, by the way. So maybe he's addressing those countries where there really is overt and external hatred uh, of same-sex attracted people. But I would still say that line God doesn't disown his children is not very helpful uh, pastorally. Um, take James Martin in this, because he likes to echo this as well. Apparently, people like Martin pretend that the gay movement's lies about Scripture, about the Catechism, about the teaching of the Church, and about courage and encourage— he pretends that the gay movement's lies about those um, sources of strength are uh, reality. The truth is, Martin has admitted he knows virtually nothing about courage and encourage. And that's why he's fundamentally dishonest in his critique. He poses as a great bridge builder, but he ignores the one ministry with Vatican approval that actually is building bridges between same-sex attracted people and the teaching of the church. And when Martin was asked why he didn't recommend courage, he hid behind the excuse that the homosexuals he's encountered uh, don't like it. They say courage is not accepting enough. Now, okay, that's, a, that's data, right? You've got a, 
the question is, well, why is their experience that way when, in fact, so many other people experience it just differently? Um, courage accepts people where they are. <laughs> courage accepts sinners. It It's comfortable dealing with sinners. Um, courage doesn't accept sin. You know, Martin makes it sound like groups like Courage and Encourage are part of the street world's rejection and hostility towards homosexual people. He's dishonest. He's shallow. He judges what he doesn't know. You know. And then people like Martin have the gall to ask why we, that is, those of us who believe in a dynamic orthodoxy, why we keep harping on the teaching of the church rather than welcoming all to the church. Well, first of all, you have no idea how welcoming I am or I am not. Um, we bring the teaching up because James Martin and his allies at New Ways and Dignity don't bring up the teaching of the church when they present uh, a so-called Catholic position. You know, dignity itself encourages physical intimacy between homosexual couples and all the, under the banners of being Catholic. Uh, Martin himself says he wants to eliminate the phrase homosexual acts are intrinsically disordered from the catechism. Well, this is why we repeat the church's teaching. We are forced to do so to correct the omissions of people like James Martin. And then he blames us for always relying on the commandment instead of first accepting people where they are. But again, courage and encourage, and many Catholics clearly accept people where they are. In fact, courage chapters are models of patience, graciousness, tact. They're absolutely not pharisaic or legalistic, which he would know if he spent some time with courage leaders. Eh, no organization is perfect, but uh, courage is committed to doing the right thing by all involved and in accord with the teaching of the church. They avoid rubber-stamping pop psychology platitudes you know, Pope Francis's phrase, I'll come back to it, God doesn't disown his children, is not that helpful in this situation, uh, however well-intentioned it is. Let me, let, me point, let me just point it out. And again, this is not an attack upon the Holy See. This is a, just a simple, practical application of this phrase, God doesn't disown his children. What should we do? M- imagine that you're responsible uh, for a, a, a parish. And you regularly, of course, as the priest there, uh, serve at uh, uh, the Holy Liturgy. And you, you know, you administer the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. All right. What should you do when a gay couple, publicly, you're, you know they are. They've, they've been clear about it. You're not guessing. You're not trying to read their hearts. They, they've been public about it. What do you do when a gay couple presents themselves for Holy Communion? Should you let them eat and drink judgment on themselves, as St. Paul puts it? Um, do, do or don't priests have responsibility for protecting the sacraments? Now, what about, why, would, why doesn't somebody like uh, Cardinal Reinhold Marx in Germany grace us with some role-playing here and show us what would satisfy his elevated sense of inclusion? 
Show us the way. Stop talking in platitudes and abstractions and show us how you would deal with the very practical problems that parents of trans kids have to deal with. Show, show us what you think is a way of doing it. Act it out. Give us a script. Show us, give us a, some drama here. A little bit of psychodrama, right? Certainly, Cardinal Marx, you've been in pastoral situations all your life. You must have encountered this. I've been in a situation where a homosexual young man comes to me and says he's just had his first homosexual encounter, and he now feels as though he discovered who he really is. Never felt this way before. Never felt this way at Life Team. So what do you do then to help this young man integrate this relief that he feels now from identifying himself as gay? How do you integrate that with the Sixth Commandment? Do you warn him that he's eating at the wrong trough and it's going to only lead to upset and addiction and alienation? Do you rejoice with him in the moment as though he's had some you know, authentic psychological breakthrough and now is more in touch with his real identity? Or do you, do you postpone confrontation for a better time? Do you say as little as possible and wait until the novelty of this self-indulgence is past and he once again has to deal with his own problems. All of this elevated language about acceptance is so pastorally unhelpful because it doesn't deal with the concrete situations that pastors have to deal with. There's no longer any doubt that Catholics love men and women who are dealing with same-sex attraction. There's no doubt about that. Now the question is, how do we really help?